And obviously that is a humorous look at uh, the church. The goal there was not just to talk about lifeguards, but rather to talk about the church, because often we have not taken our, our role serious as the body of Christ. Let me share a passage of scripture with you today. It's one that is very familiar to most of us probably. It's called the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at uh, verses 16 to 20 this morning, and uh, then we'll uh, discuss it in just a few moments. Begins with this. This is from the New Living Translation today. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Unfortunately, most Christians treat evangelism very much like what you have just seen in this video. We want to help people. We want to introduce them to Christ. We may even be passionate about sharing our faith, but often such excitement fades over time. And as that excitement fades, the willingness to serve also disappears. Well, with that in mind, it's time for us to realize that a bold faith will always involve sharing our faith with other people. Understand that what I'm saying is that you cannot be a bold follower of Jesus Christ without also being willing to share the reason for your faith with others in your life. I've had individuals tell me, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a Christian. I have served the Lord faithfully, uh, talked about their surrender to the Lord. And then you ask the question, how often have you shared your faith with others? And unfortunately, I've even heard the individuals respond with, well, I've never really told anybody about my faith. When Jesus called his first disciples, he called them to leave their fishing nets behind and become fishers of men. It was a reference to that in the video just a moment ago. He called them to a familiar profession. They understood fishing, but with a completely different goal. They would still fish, but their goal was to reach into a world where mankind was drowning in sin and offer them a way out. As we come to today's passage, three years have passed, and Jesus has just been crucified and resurrected. And although the disciples were certainly distraught over the death of their friend and rabbi, they also were filled with the sense of anticipation. The same sense of anticipation that we were talking about last week, where we need to develop a sense of anticipation in the body of Christ. In their case, it was an anticipation of what Jesus was going to do. They had already they knew of his death. They had heard of his resurrection. What must be next? Then suddenly Jesus appears and he gives them a combination of hope and instruction. And I want to look today at both aspects of this. First, I want us to look at the instructions that he gives and then we'll look at the hope. And although we're looking at them separately, keep in mind that they are intricately weaved together. Without the hope, there is little value in the instruction. So unlike the lifeguards that were portrayed earlier, the body of Christ is called to go and to make disciples. 
Actually, uh, we have behind us here Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. There are at least three elements that I want to call your attention to this morning from this particular passage. First, we must be willing to go. I know that this sounds so simple, but if it were so simple, then church statistics would look very different than what they do today. When it comes to discipleship, churchgoers struggle most with sharing Christ with non-believers. According to a recent study study of church-going American Protestants, this was the results that we discovered. This was done by LifeWay Research found that 80% of those who attend church one or more times per month believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. Yet 61% have never told another person about Jesus Christ. Something is wrong with that. 80% of us say that that's absolutely what we must be doing. Yet 61% have never done so. In fact, that same survey went further to state that as many as 48% of believers had not even invited a friend to attend church with them. So in other words, it's not even just that they don't tell them about Jesus. They don't even, they're not even willing to invite them to church. Maybe it sounds a little bit too elementary, but the first thing that we are to do is to go. And where do we need to go? According to Acts 1.8, we actually have a roadmap for us. There are specific locations and places for us. It says, but you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So let's look at those four. What are we talking about? We're to go to Jerusalem. The original audience would have seen the people of Jerusalem as their immediate family. They were the people that they knew the best and the people who knew them the best. Sometimes this can be the hardest group to share with. Part of the reason is because these individuals know all of our weaknesses as well as they know our strengths. It's easy when you see someone one time to simply put on that front and look like everything's okay And you can tell them what they need is Christ. But sometimes it's hard to tell that person who perhaps they know all of our shortcomings better than maybe even we do ourselves. Perhaps we worry about offending those people that we love. We don't want them to be angry with us and have tension every time we come together. And far too often, this is the group of people that we're not willing to share our faith with first. But it is where we must begin. The second place where we are called to go is Judea. Again, we're considering the original audience. Jerusalem and Judea were nearby cities. Often the people in Judea would have been considered family, but they weren't really close family. They were more like the aunts and the uncles that get a notice about your graduation, but you really don't want them to come. You just want them to send a check. You guys know what I'm talking about. Judea was family, but they weren't really close family. And what you see is that each place that is mentioned is a step outside of our normal sphere of influence. It's going just a little bit further. The next place would be Samaria. The Samaritans were a despised people, but there was at least a sense of tolerance toward them. Jesus spent time with a Samaritan woman, for example. He told stories about a good Samaritan, and later Philip 
would proclaim the good news to the Samaritans, and thousands of them would end up coming to Christ. So we can sense at least a small opening to be able to connect with the Samaritans. They certainly weren't considered godly people, but there was hope for them. These Samaritans, that they weren't from Jerusalem, they weren't from Judea, but at least they were close to us. And finally, we see that we are to go to the uttermost. In other words, we are to go to those places that we know nothing about. We go to the people that are completely out of our typical sphere of influence. In our society today, we typically think of this as missions work. But the truth is that all of these four, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost, are part of mission work. All of us are called to go and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be in your home, whether it be in the local grocery store, or in a nearby community, or maybe across the country, or in a completely different nation. We are all called to be a part of mission work. Some of us need to evaluate whether our faith is really as bold as we pretend it to be. Have you told your Jerusalem about Jesus Christ yet? Have you shared your faith with your loved ones? Maybe you don't have all the answers, but guess what? Neither do I. Sometimes we fear sharing our faith because what if I don't know what to say? What if I say something wrong? And because of that, individuals are worse off than they would have been had I not said anything. Let me, let me help you understand this a little bit. Right now, if you do not share your faith with them, if they were to die, they will go to hell. That is, the wages of sin is death, and hell is the punishment for all those who do not have Christ. How can you make that worse? Can you say something to make that worse? No, they're going to hell. That is the worst. There is the possibility that if you share your faith with your loved ones, that they might respond to the grace of Jesus Christ. And you will have not made things worse, but you will have given them a hope and a peace and a promise that only Jesus Christ himself can make available. You cannot make people worse. Have you shared your faith? If not, why? What I know is that whether I have all the answers or not, my family, my friends, they need Christ more than anything in their lives. What a privilege it is that we get to help share Jesus Christ with them. What about your Judea? What about your Samaria? Are there people in your life that you wouldn't naturally hang out with, but they desperately need to know about Jesus Christ? Maybe they're going through a crisis right now, and you'll be able to point them to Jesus Christ through this. What about your Samaria? I was trying to picture what, looks, what, what Samaria looks like for us in today's culture. Maybe for some of us, this would be people of a dis- different race or ethnicity, perhaps Latinos or Someone who's black and we're white. Or maybe it's someone who's white and we're black. I, I, I don't know. For many of us, race divides. Maybe for some of us, it's not as much about race, but it's about political preferences. Many within the Christian church today find themselves to connect very strong to political 
slant. Maybe they tend to be quote-unquote conservatives. Do we still offer grace and love to those who are liberals? The reality is, regardless of what the differences are between you and those around you, the same Jesus Christ that reached out to you is the only hope for them. And therefore, whatever your Samaria looks like, you have been called to go and to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Finally, there are those in the uttermost. A great example of this is seen in a trip that has already been scheduled for next April. On April 7th of next spring, we'll be taking a group of people to Haiti, where we'll serve alongside full-time missionaries. Maybe God is calling you to join us in that, to experience sharing with those in the uttermost. I'll tell you already that there are at least six people who have already come to me and said, hey, I want to be a part of that mission trip when we go. I would love to have many more people participate with us as we share to those in the uttermost. But you know, it's not just short-term missions. I always feel the need to share this, perhaps because I have seen the fruit of it. The reality is there is a world of people that is desperately in need of those who will come, not just for seven or ten days, but those who will come and share their lives with those who need Christ. We just sent some missionaries out a few weeks ago from this church. We celebrate that. But maybe God would call others who are in here today and say, you know what? I really have a plan for you, and it may not be here in the United States. Are you willing to go if God were to call you to go to another place? Are you really surrendered to Christ? Because the term surrender doesn't mean surrendered as long as you don't ask me to do too much. I remember growing up and I thought to myself, Lord, I'll do whatever you want as long as you don't call me to Africa. Uh, I actually wanted him to call me to Hawaii. That was the place that I would prefer. Um, it was almost this idea that surrendered is surrendered even if it's only a little bit surrendered. But that's not what Jesus Christ has called us to. If we are going to have a bold faith, then that means we must be willing to go wherever and whenever God calls us to go. So we must go. But go for what? According to the passage, we are to go and make disciples. Now, this is a twofold process. First, we must introduce them to Jesus Christ. It's pointing people to what matters most. This is what we see in the story of Matthew and his tax collector friends. In Matthew 9, Jesus calls Matthew to leave his tax collector position and come and follow him. He willingly leaves, and that night, Matthew throws a big feast, a huge party. And the purpose of the feast was not merely to celebrate leaving his job, although when we retire, we tend to do that. Instead, the real reason was to introduce his friends to Jesus Christ. In fact, this would be when the Pharisees object to Jesus eating with the tax collectors. But all Matthew was doing was introducing his closest friends to Jesus Christ. And that's what we must do. We are to introduce them to Christ. There are countless other examples of this throughout the New Testament where individuals, their primary purpose. I love the story of Andrew and Peter. Andrew is one of the very first disciples that is called, and he is always referred to as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. As soon as Andrew hears about Jesus Christ, as soon as he meets him, what Andrew does is he runs and he tells his brother 
about Jesus. This was his moment. He could get out of the shadow. He didn't have to be there to where it was always Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. Maybe one day it could be Peter, Andrew's brother. Andrew is always in the shadow of Peter. Yet Andrew's first thought is to share the most important news the world had ever heard. The Messiah had come. That is what we are called to do, is to go and to point people to Jesus Christ. Consider the call that I mentioned earlier when Jesus first called the earliest disciples. He invited them to become fishers of men. It was assumed on the front end that if you were going to be a follower of Christ, you were going to be a fisher for Christ. Now let me ask you, how much fishing are you doing? If you've never gone fishing, are you really a fisherman? Second part of making disciples is to help people grow in their faith. This is more than just sitting in a classroom and making people listen to you. This is about living life together. Remember the 12 disciples who followed Jesus? They heard him teach, but they also saw the way he lived. And in many ways, he poured himself into them constantly. I suggest to you today that truly making disciples requires that we invest in the lives of other people. If you've been in the church for a long time, you ought to be discipling other people. If you're new to your faith, then you should have somebody who is walking alongside you to help you in your newfound faith. And this doesn't mean that the other person is perfect. In fact, we're all on the same journey, but often we can benefit from others who have already been through the same things that perhaps we'll go through. You know, there are some people who no matter what happens, they have to learn the hard way. You can tell them that stove is hot and they're going to touch it just to check. And then they're going to determine that, you know what, that, that was hot. You're right. I should not have done that. But many of us can learn from others. Someone tells us it's wet paint, we don't have to touch it to see if it is. Someone tells us that the stove is hot, we don't have to touch it to see if it is. We can learn from their mistakes. I remember as a teenage boy, I, I, I used to have a lot of hair. Uh, you guys probably didn't know that, but I, I used to have a lot of hair. Uh, me and my brother both did, and uh, I decided it was time for a haircut. And I was going to get it completely shaved. I wanted a, a flat top uh, where it was uh, straight up. And, uh, anyway, it was, I was a little nervous about it. So me and my twin brother go to get our haircuts, and we always fought over who got to go first. I looked at my brother. I said, you can go first this time. And what I did was I got to learn from his mistakes. If he didn't like it, I didn't want it. I could just keep my hair the way it was. Now, I liked his haircut, so I ended up getting it cut short, and I've never had long hair since then. But the point is, I can learn from other people. I can let them teach me from perhaps some of their mistakes. The body of Christ, we need each other. We need to be surrounded by others who can encourage us and help us along this journey. Maybe there's a pitfall in our lives and somebody else has already been through it and they've already had to walk that journey and they can maybe keep us from having to fall as they have in the past. We need each other. So surround yourselves with other people who can help you in this journey. A great way to look at this is seen in an illustration that I've shared previously. 
Several years ago, I was playing basketball. I went to steal the ball from a buddy of mine. His name was Dan. We called him Jumping Dan because everybody had their own little nickname. Uh, there was uh, uh, Lefty Mark. There was Angry Jeff. There, everyone had a nickname. Jumping Dan was really fast. And he went to go buy me with the ball. And when he did, I reached out and I swiped it from him. I stole it and I didn't realize something was wrong until I looked down at my finger and the knuckles normally will be butt up against each other like that. But on this particular day, they were not butting, but they were stacked on top of each other. And I had dislocated the finger. It didn't hurt, but it was really ugly. So I got to do something with my friend. I got to use a phrase that I had used many times before, but never in an appropriate manner. I looked at my friend. And I said, hey, uh, can you pull my finger? And of course... He didn't because he was grossed out by it. I popped it right back into place and I was fine. Kept on playing. No big deal. It's one thing for me to ask my friend to pull my finger because it's not really that big of a deal. Do you think I would have asked him for help if I had cancer? Probably not. He's not the guy that I should have talked to. He's a construction worker. He's not the guy you want for cancer help. The point is that it is far more effective for us to ask people who have either been there themselves or ask people who actually have the answer. I need other people around me who have the right answer. The body of Christ needs other people who will walk alongside them and encourage them and strengthen them because there will be times where I won't have the answer. This is a big deal. Our relationship with God is the most important thing that we have. Well, that's the instruction portion of the passage. We are to go and we are to make disciples. Now let's look at the hope portion. Although this is by far the shortest portion of the message, it is the best part. It's God's promise to us, and it's two-part here. It's found at the beginning and at the end of the passage. First, as we go, we must understand that we go as ambassadors of God. Jesus Christ is sending us out with his authority to do his work. What a privilege that is. Sometimes we think, well, God's expecting all these things of me and it just doesn't seem fair. I'm always being asked to do something and it's never enough. Actually, it is a privilege that we have been invited into the work of Jesus Christ. Imagine someone you loved who had cancer and you got to be the one to bring them healing. You got to be the one to give them the recipe for healing. What a reward that would be for you. We have something far greater to deal with than cancer. I understand cancer is a horrible thing. I wish it did not exist, but it is something that we have to face in society. But sin is far greater than cancer. The wages of sin is death. What if you could be the one to give your brother your sister, your child, your mother, Jesus Christ. What a privilege that is for us to be able to introduce the people we love to such a great gift. Imagine some very important dignitary calling you on your phone and asking for your help. I don't mean like the automated messages at election time where these people call and they want your help. I mean the real deal calling to talk with you. Hey, Paula, I need your help. Hey, John. Hey, Betty, I need you to do something for me. How cool would that be? Well, that's what God has done for you and for me. 
He has invited us and he has equipped us to do something much bigger than ourselves. Don't pout because he asked you to do something. Rejoice because he trusted you. Finally, the greatest part of our hope is connected to what I just shared. As Jesus closes his challenge to the people, he gives them the most encouraging words they could ever hear. He says, remember that I will be with you. He says, I am with you and I will be with you until the very end of the age. Remember what they've just come out of? They saw Jesus crucified. They thought it was over. It's the end. They were hopeless. Yet now Jesus stands before them and he says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to provide. What an incredible promise of blessing. There have been times that all of us, somewhere along the way, probably felt alone. You have never been alone. For Jesus Christ continually is reaching out and he is begging for you to respond to him. He says, I will be with you until the very end of the age. The time that he comes back. What a great comfort we find in this. It's a statement that we'll never have to do this by ourselves. God will be with us. And even if the rest of the world thinks we are crazy fools, that's okay. We'll be fools for Christ. Because he's going to be here with us. What a privilege that is. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we have discussed today, it is a privilege for us to be a part of your family, to be a part of your work. We know that we are works in progress. And in many ways, we have hungered and thirsted for your righteousness, but perhaps we have not truly understood the privilege that has been given to us to go and to tell and to make disciples. Yet today, Lord, we celebrate this great privilege we have. Lord, I pray that you would help us to go boldly into the world around us and proclaim how much you love them. Lord, help us to offer your grace above everything else. Help us to be faithful, to do more than just speak the truth, but to live the truth in front of them. Much like the disciples watched you live, and it made it much easier for them to understand that what you were saying was true because they saw it all the time. Help us to be those people who live out the truth and speak the truth. Lord, I pray today that you would open our hearts to your leading. So that wherever you might lead us, if it be in Jerusalem or in Judea or Samaria or even the uttermost, that we would be willing, that we would be fully surrendered to you. So that we would be your tools, your ambassadors to this world. Use us, work in us, that you might receive honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.